welcome to the Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas and at least one good story. Episode 75, Forever Young, Iraq, where Travis felt a tug on his jacket. Here's another story from Machu Picchu. I started to interview Travis just as we camped for the night, before the final ascent, after three days of hiking together on the Inca Trail. We wandered into a set of ruins on the side of a mountain called Winye Huayna, Forever Young in Quechua. Row after row of green terraces tumbled into the canyon below us, creating the largest natural amphitheater I've ever seen. A rainbow tore through the clouds that were threatening thunderstorm. Awe interrupted us. The conclusion of our conversation didn't come until after we had summited and spent hours in the abandoned city itself, and then run into each other again on the other side, at the bottom of Machu Picchu, at the main entrance in front of the ticket office, where everyone else who'd taken the train was just queuing to go in. This was where we would part. The crowd swirled around us. We were exhausted. It was rushed. It was loud. I wasn't expecting much. I felt terrible forcing him to keep talking to me and only did out of a sense of duty. Nothing in this description or in this episode prepares you for the story he told. We are edged with mist, according to Virginia Woolf. We make insubstantial territories. So, Travis, can you describe what you look like? Um, I guess uh, I'm about 5'11", brown hair, brown eyes. That's about it, I guess. Okay, <laughs> okay now the, the really exciting question, can you describe where we are? Well... It's tough to put into words where we are. I mean, we're on the Inca Trail, but um, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. That's for sure. Uh, Today specifically, we came up over there and just chilling up on there. Like, can you describe that thing that we're looking at up there? Like, I mean, I I can't remember the word. Terraces, just multiple, multiple terraces. Uh, I can't even explain how high it is. It's so steep, too. Yeah, like, it didn't even look that big when we were up there. And you can see a few people up there just kind of walking around. They're so tiny. And I had no idea that it was that big till we got down here. But when we, when we came around the corner to it, it was just amazing, the view. I mean, I can only equate it to when I first saw the Grand Canyon in a sense of, like, is it real? <laughs> and you keep looking, kind of wondering <laughs> if it is. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's where we're at. I mean, uh, a beautiful place. And I'm just going to add, as we walk past the camp shower, <laughs> uh, right now we're, like, below Machu Picchu, which is right there. Yes. And we can't see it. Uh-huh. It's invisible from below. Yeah. So it's still shrouded in mystery, even though we're <laughs> on the verge of reaching it finally. Uh-huh. And there's like a wall of mountains behind it, and they've just been slowly eaten by clouds this afternoon, and now there's thunder rumbling in the distance. Like, yeah. It's super hot where we are, 
but there's a rainstorm right over there. <laughs> so it's very dramatic. Yeah, it, it, you can hear the thunder and you just wonder if it's going to come here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is it going to just dissipate? <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of like when the clouds are over the mountains, actually. It's, like that first day, just seeing the kind of the mist above. It, it reminded me of like Jurassic Park in the sense of like totally. walking, like seeing that we were just like, oh my gosh, this is so vast. <laughs> we uh, we survived the rain that day. Mm -hmm. It's been dry ever since. So, why are you here? Why did you come to Machu Picchu? Uh, well, I think it's just something everybody has to see. Um, There's a, a llama selfie happening right next to us. <laughs> Why I decided to hike the Inca Trail, I think it was my girlfriend's idea in a sense. But I always like challenges, you know. Um, when it comes to hiking, it's always fair to have some goal as opposed to just walking. You know, everybody says, oh, why do you just want to walk around? But when you have something like this, it's a challenge. You're not sure if you'll be able to make it or not. It really adds uh, a lot of value to it. Absolutely. Um, I'm a person who's gotten altitude sickness in the past, like severe altitude sickness. Really? So, yeah, I was worried leading up to this, but yeah. you know, we did Rainbow Mountain, and I survived that. So I figured if I can survive that, I can survive this. And so far, so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one. Well, I guess one, two, two people went back at the beginning. Right. Right. Um, but it hasn't afflicted the rest of us too much, thankfully. No, thankfully, thankfully. It, it did in Cusco. I, I felt it. Yeah, but. it's never fun, that's for sure. Like, yeah. I've had I just want to throw up and brain feels like mush. Yeah. But you got lucky. <laughs> so, uh, well now you've inspired a two-part question. Okay. I want to know what role travel has played in your life, and I want to know where you got altitude sickness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll answer that second one first because it's a little easier to answer. So the first time I got it was... Um, More than once. Yeah, uh, in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, I can't remember the mountain's name, but it's like the highest point in Arizona. And I think I was 12 and me and my dad and his friends were hiking it. And I don't know, halfway up, I was just, head was exploding. So I walked back down. So that was my first stint of it. Yeah. The second time was Pike's Peak. Taking a train, not even hiking, just going to the top and getting to the top, like, that's when I, I just wanted to throw up. I remember just sitting outside, not enjoying anything. Like, my family was fine with it. They were all, you know, having fun, looking around. I was just sitting, trying to stand still, not wanting to throw up and embarrass myself. You know, and when I started feeling a little better, I was like, okay, I'll go into the little gift shop, the visitor shop, and I remember specifically, it smelled like glazed donuts in there, and I just had to leave because I couldn't take it anymore. Those glazed donuts. <laughs> but um, what uh, the first question was, what what has travel played in my life? Exactly. Um, what part has played? Uh, have you traveled a lot, would you say? Um... Not as much as I'd want to, that's for sure. Uh, since I started dating my girlfriend, she's definitely got me more into the traveling. Uh, it's always been a time and money thing, and yeah. it still is on my part. <laughs> Not so much on hers, but she 
makes these plans and allows it so that I can travel. Uh, I think that it didn't play a big part of my life until I was 23, maybe, after the Army. I don't know what it was, but I just kind of got that bug for exploration. And it was something like I loved Indiana Jones as a kid, and I always thought, oh, yeah, Machu Picchu, you know, the pyramids. That's amazing, these people who find these, you know, vast places that, you know, no one's seen for hundreds of years. But it never really came to anything until, like I said, I was 23, and I just wanted to see more of the world. I wanted to do more things. Uh, I wanted adventure in my life. Yeah. I didn't want to just, you know, get a degree and settle down and just, that was it right. for the rest of the life. So it, it's been great to travel and meet new people, experience different cultures. I mean, even in America, like going to the South and living there for a bit. You're from Arizona originally? Yes. That's your yes. hometown. Okay. And when I was in the Army, I was stationed in the South in uh, Tennessee, Kentucky oh, area. Okay. And I fell in love with that area. I just, everybody's so nice. Yeah. And I just loved the Southern style. And it's been great to even like now living in New England just to experience that side of it because Arizona doesn't have a lot of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other than some Wild West stuff, but, you know, compared to the East Coast where it's <laughs> everything, you know, the nation was built there. So it's been great to see that. And it's funny, like, you get these preconceptions of places and you think, like, I thought East Coast, like, everybody's just very rude and <laughs> there can be those people but there's also like surprisingly very nice people there and yeah it's great you know so uh can you describe what we're seeing right now oh uh it's it's like the first place but i insanely huge just terrace after terrace after terrace and we got some buildings I mean, this is probably the biggest complex we've seen yet. Yeah, definitely. They're like triangle-shaped yeah. walls. I feel like so. They, like they had roofs before, but they're gone. Yeah, little windows yeah. too. You can see that there's probably thatched roofs on the certain places. Hmm. It just appears out of the jungle. I don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, the that's the thing about this trail, which, you know, it's like they they knew exactly what they were doing down to every little detail when they came to build. Like, they knew they wanted people to come around this corner and boom, yeah. there it is. But, yeah, they had a real aesthetic sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just like a joy in scenery. This is a perfect spot. I mean, it's amazing that... The thing that's unfortunate is that we don't know enough about, like, exactly why, you know, like, I wish we could get in the minds of the person who's like, yep, this is where I want this, and I want it to come around, and... Yeah. Yeah, the, the schematics or the blueprints or the... Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you read books, and they just talk about how they're so good with the, uh, like, latitude, longitude, like, knowing precisely where this is going to be lined up with, you know, say, that mountain... Um, or, you know, we constantly talk about the solstice, the winter solstice, summer solstice, these, I mean, how long did it take to realize it? Okay, this is where this needs to be, and to have it perfectly lined up for that moment. It's a years-long commitment, like, and such powerful imagination, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, 
to yeah, envision that and make got, it happen. You've got a couple days, and then, yeah, you have to wait a whole other year to... <laughs> to confirm. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's going to happen every year. Now let's do it. <laughs> Hola. Okay, so we've flashed forward, and you've just left Machu Picchu. Yes. Any thoughts? <laughs> uh, it's a it's a lot bigger than I, I even imagined. I knew it was big, but you know, yeah. actually walking around it, it's, it's gi ginormous. Yeah. You know, proper way to say it. <laughs> uh, a lot of people. You know, as, as the listeners can hear, I'm sure. <laughs> right now. Um, I mean, it's expected, but again, I think it's another thing. I did not expect this many people. It it, it, it becomes kind of a line and a little disorienting. It would be nice if you could have almost like a private tour of it, like like our trek. Yeah. Great because you kind of had these places to yourself with your small little group. So, you know, at, at the end of it, I mean, I'm glad I get to see Machu Picchu, but I think I'll definitely like, I'll appreciate more the trek that we took as yeah. opposed to the final the final product, I guess. Yeah. So far, that's what everyone is saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm so glad we did it. So I, I just wanted to ask, did you travel as a soldier? Were you sent overseas at all? Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things they always try and tell you in the army is like, oh, you, you'll get to see the world. Um, yeah. Not so much. I mean, <laughs> we gotta saw, I got to see a lot of the South. You know, like I went to Georgia. I was stationed in Kentucky and Tennessee. Went down to Alabama for some training, Louisiana, and then Iraq. Yeah, so so that was the main traveling, I guess, Iraq-wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And What's it like encountering a culture from that vantage point? Like, um, did you feel like you got close to the culture at all, or were, were you just on the base? Like, no, no. We, uh, being infantry, we were able to go out like every day. We were going out, so we got to interact with the local population on a very regular basis. Um, there was a handful of villages that we kind of did our rounds about, and uh, you know, I don't know how what people really think about when it comes to war and stuff, but 50% of it is really just humanitarian in the sense of, you know, during the day we're spending our time trying to develop infrastructure for the, the villages, you know, getting schools, um, getting school supplies, you know, building, you know, having so that they can have revenue and they can walk on their own feet once we leave. Uh, and then the other half was trying to take care of, you know, the bad guys, you know, in these towns. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we did, we really did get to uh, interact with the locals a lot, um, especially I think us as opposed to our leaders our leaders really dealt with the leaders well we were the ones who were kind of on the ground while they were talking you know interacting with the with the uh, locals yeah and I'm sure the answer is yes but did this change you did, did that trip oh, yeah. change you yeah yeah uh, <laughs> Not, not like in a PTSD type of way, but I think I gained a lot more empathy than I had prior. Uh, you know, seeing seeing a different culture and a, a very uh, different um, core, core, you know, but still being able to appreciate life and, you know, watching like little kids use Coke cans for soccer balls. You, know, you really start going, wow, you know, I, I complain about the littlest things when these kids, you know, look at, they're as happy as can be where they're living. So, yes, yeah, it definitely did change. Yeah. Okay, last question. Uh, what's your best travel story? 
Uh, I guess it would have to be uh, when I was in Iraq. Um, there was this one village in particular that we, we frequented early on into our deployment a lot. And all the local kids would come around and always, you know, ask for candy or soccer balls, just assuming that we had, we had loads of that. And there was one little girl in particular that um, always came by my vehicle. If I was a driver, I'd always just be sitting there and she'd come over and she'd ask for stuff. But she wasn't too picky about it or anything. Just always just kind of stared. And, you know... A couple months into our deployment, you know, we're back in that town again, and we're just walking around, you know, and kids are following us as usual. I remember that one of my buddies, I think he bought like a bunch of candy bars, so we started passing them out to the kids, and I, I remember that, you know, we finished passing them out, and we were walking back to the trucks to leave, and as I'm leaving, I feel this tug, you know, on the back of my on the back of my uh, jacket, so I turn around and it's that little girl. It's one that I, I gave the candy bar. She actually split it in half, and she was she was uh, handing it to me. So it was pretty special. That's uh, you make me cry. I don't know why. That's really uh, that's really beautifully told. Thank you so much. I didn't expect that. Yeah, me too. It's never gotten me Okay, here we are, standing in Machu Picchu in a crowd of people just about to sob. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. Thank you to Dana Boulay and Carlos Molina Rojas for their music. Check out preemptivelove.org, which does relief work in Iraq. And expect those tugs. <laughs>